Uh, my name is Tim Hawkins, and it is uh, fantastic to be welcomed by you uh, into such a, a wonderful fellowship of God's people. Uh, I spent Friday night at the world's best youth group, and we had an awesome time there, uh, being challenged by God's word. And uh, yesterday we looked at uh, disciple making and the, the importance that it has uh, in, uh, in any growth of God's kingdom. So thank you for inviting me for your warm welcome. Uh, just so you know who I am, firstly, um, I am clearly defined by having the most beautiful wife in the whole of Australasia. Um, Karen Hawkins are there in the rather bright yellow, uh, which stands her out from the more subdued colours that you Hobartian people wear. Um, Karen is my wife. We've been married for 37 years. We have two children, both in their 30s, uh, both Christians, both single. <laughs> if you'd uh, like to chat with me later, we can arrange things in that department uh, if you like. I... I've been a youth pastor for 40 years um, in the Anglican churches in Sydney and uh, a couple of years ago we felt the call of God as we entered into our 60s to um, go to a place where we could have a significant impact on the development of biblical leadership and biblical disciple making. So we are missionaries in Africa we are what's politely called self-funded missionaries. Uh, what that really means is unfunded missionaries. <laughs> and uh, we are based in Cape Town and we're looking to uh, have networks across the continent where we might uh, raise up emerging leadership. The vision is to raise up the next generation of African leadership. So that's who I am and uh, it is wonderful to be with you uh, I want to open God's word, and I'm just wondering, are you expecting God will speak powerfully to you and impact you and change your life? Is, is that what you're expecting when I open God's word? Uh, okay. Well, why don't we ask God to do that? Oh, Father God, thank you so much that you speak powerfully to, to us through your word. Thank you that by your spirit we will be changed by your word so that when we walk out of here, we will not be the same as when we walked in. Father God, all of this is of you, and we pray right now that you'll impact every single one of our lives. Amen. I want you to imagine that you have decided to go to the big sporting event, which uh, uh, is going to be right here in Hobart, and let's just imagine that you're off to the Big Bash. And you're going to watch the mighty Hobart Hurricanes demolish the Sydney Sixers. And it's up at Belle Reve and uh, you've got good tickets and you're up in the stand and everybody is ready for the big match. It's time to start. <coughs> Umpires are on the field. Sydney Sixers are batting and their batsmen are out there and everybody is waiting for the Hobart Hurricanes to make their appearance and... They're not there. Five minutes goes past. Ten minutes. Fifteen minutes. The umpires are looking at each other. The Sydney Sixers batsmen are sort of just keeping warmed up. The crowd's getting restless. There's no team on the field. 
And you're up in the stands, and so you, you decide to talk to the bloke next to you to find out what's going on, and you realise that sitting next to you is, is the captain of, of the Hobart Hurricanes. And as you look along the, the seats, the entire Hobart Hurricanes team is up there with you in the stands. And, and you turn to them and you say, what, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you doing up here? And they say, well, we, we've come to see the cricket. <laughs> you say, but, but what are you doing up here? Well, seats were really hard to get and we had a friend, he got us these tickets. And, like, they're really good seats, aren't they? And, and we, we don't get just to watch the cricket very often. We thought, we, we thought we'd watch. Now, what's, what's wrong with this picture? Does it make sense when the, the Hobart Hurricanes signed up these guys to be on their team, they didn't sign them up to sit in the stands and be spectators? They weren't signed up to watch things happen. They were signed up to make things happen. And if they don't give up being spectators, get out of the stands, get down on the field and start being players, there's not going to be any cricket that day. There was another bloke who called a team together. His name was Jesus. And he called people to be on his team and with him to change the world. And if you've already accepted that call, if you've already said to Jesus, yes, I will follow you, if you know for certain as you sit there that you are on Jesus' team and that you are following him to eternity, if that describes you, can I assure you from the Bible, God never signed you up to be a spectator in his kingdom. He only signed you up to be a player in his kingdom. If you're a Christian, Jesus did not call you so you could watch things happen. If you are a Christian, Jesus called you so that you could make things happen. And if you show up anywhere as a ministry spectator when you're meant to be a ministry player, then there ain't going to be no ministry that day. If you show up at your youth group as a ministry spectator, then there's not going to be much ministry there. If you show up at church as a ministry spectator, then the ministry that's meant to happen is not going to happen. If you show up at your school or your workplace or your community or your local organisations and you simply show up as a ministry spectator, that means the ministry that is meant to happen that day is simply not going to happen because we're not spectators, we're players. Now, for those of you taking notes... Um, that will be the heading for the message. So if you're the sort of person that normally takes notes, write it down. If you don't normally take notes, write it down anyway. We're not spectators, we're players. And just to make sure you don't sit there as spectators the whole time, I'm going to get you to join in. Now, I know this is a Presbyterian church, and I understand that. I'm from an Anglican church, and we are the two founding members of the Frozen Chosen. But let's... (laughs) Let's just see if we can do that. Every time I call out because we're not spectators, I want you all to reply loudly and excitedly, like, you know, you're involved and committed, um, to call back to me, we're players. So I will say, because we're not spectators, and you... So I do not believe you're a Presbyterian. (laughs) 
Is, is this man a member here? Have you, have you... Oh, if the church were full of people like you. This... Okay. The words are we're players, and I want you to yell them out all together. Okay. Because we're not spectators. Because we're not spectators. Okay. Well, I think the Pentecostals down the road heard us. Okay. You recall back in Matthew chapter 4, it's around about verse 18, where Jesus walks up to some fishermen and he's going to call his very first disciples. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Do you recall what he says? He says, come follow me and let's just pause it there for a moment. Come follow me and. Let's imagine you have no idea how that verse finishes. You have never read that verse before. Let's imagine you're on Jesus' marketing team. You're on his social media team. You have to come up with a compelling reason as to why people should give up their life, give up their income, give up their friends and family and follow Jesus to an unknown destination. What would you, how would you finish that sentence to give a compelling reason why people should give up their life and follow Jesus? Come on, you're the marketing team. You've got to come up with a slogan that's going to work. It's going to sell. How would you finish that? Come follow me and I will give you eternal life. I think that's good. That would work. <coughs> come follow me and I'll forgive all your sins. Come follow me and I'll take you to heaven. But you know that's not what Jesus did. In fact, he didn't say, come follow me and I'll do anything for you. He certainly didn't say, come follow me and I'll put you in a cosy church where you can sit back and watch the other people do ministry. He certainly didn't say, come follow me and you can just come to your youth group and just have a whole lot of fun and not worry too much about anyone who's doing anything. He didn't say, come follow me and you can show up at school or at work or your community group and just sit back and hope somebody else does some ministry. He certainly didn't say, come follow me and sit back and watch the leadership team do ministry. What Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says, come follow me and... I will make you fishers of men. He says, come follow me and I'll put you on my ministry team. He says, come follow me and we will go and make more disciples. He says, come follow me and together we'll change the world because we're not spectators. And God wants you to be an active player on his ministry team wherever he puts you. At school, at uni, at your workplace, in your neighbourhood. Because that's the job that God has left for you. When you became a Christian, why did Jesus call you to follow him? Like, what, what was his plan? Why, why did Jesus want you on his team? And if you're thinking, well, he wanted to save me and, you know, bring me into a close relationship with him so that we can enjoy each other for eternity... Um, if that's all it is, he would have taken you to heaven at that moment. Because in, in, in heaven, you can be closer to Jesus than you could ever be here on planet Earth. 
So by observation, some of you are still here. That means there is a job that he wants you to do. If you're a Christian this morning, I want you to know from God's word, you have not called to be a spectator. He has called you to be a player. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishes of men because, thank you, we're not spectators. We're Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is the passage that was so brilliantly read by some of our young people a bit earlier. Hey, isn't it good to see young people involved in leadership? Seriously, I don't know what Cornerstone Church is normally like, but if this is the standard that has been set this morning, I think there's a challenge to everybody else to rise to that standard. So seriously, that is what, what's happening is fantastic. I want to look at three pictures as to what it means to be an active player on Jesus' ministry team. So open your Bibles at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 3. And the first picture is that you're called to be a soldier. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. Paul says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Rather, they try and please, they try and please their commanding officer. When Paul is trying to think of a picture which describes what it's like to be a Christian, the first picture that comes to his mind is as a soldier. Now, Paul would know a lot about the Roman soldiers because as he writes this, he is imprisoned by them. He is probably chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And in prison, he is firsthand looking at the might of the Roman military machine. He is seeing the things that make them the world-conquering, world-smashing champions of the world. And he would know a lot about the dedication, the commitment to duty. And look, I've never been part of our defence forces for those of you involved in the defence at any stage, I want to take my hat off to you and say, look, thank you for that sacrifice. My dad served in World War II in the tanks in Papua New Guinea. And you would know that anyone who's involved in active service, there is a life of hardship. It is not a life of luxury. And if there's one thing, let's just say about soldiers, it's hard work. Seriously, I don't think I would get through boot camp. If I had to go through boot camp training for the army, you know, they, they get up before the sun does. I mean, seriously. Like, they do all these fitness runs. They've got the rations, they've got commanding officers, and they might get called to go to war at any point. But Jesus, when he calls you, is saying, I have called you to take part in a war. I have called you to fight the enemy. I've called you to live in trenches. I have called you to be the front line of the kingdom. Now, if you became a Christian because of all the cool things that Jesus would do for you, you, the eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, a gateway to heaven, they're all true, But can you see if that's the only reason why you signed up with Jesus, you are on dangerous ground. Come on, if you've signed up to be a Christian, you've enlisted for a battle. You are fighting an enemy. You've been sent to the front line. 
You've been called to be a soldier. So don't settle for being a spiritual tourist. Can I talk for a moment about soldiers and tourists? Because they both do some similar things. Both travel the world. Both interact with people from other cultures. Both have to face situations that they've never actually faced before. The difference, the tourist is travelling for their own pleasure. The soldier is travelling for the pleasure of their commanding officer. Come on, Jesus never called you to be a spiritual tourist where you just for what you can get out of yourself, you are called to take part in a battle where people's eternities are at stake. Come on, you're not on a cruise ship, you're on a battleship. Now, there's nothing wrong with cruising. My wife and I took the once-in-a-lifetime, let's-go-to-Europe sort of long-service leave trip, and that ended with a cruise of the Greek islands. It was very nice. There on the ship, you get out of your stateroom in the morning, wander onto the rear deck for the all-you-can-eat buffet breakfast. (laughs) By the time you get back to the room, a little man has gone in and not only cleaned uh, the whole thing, he's made your bed, he's even picked up your clothes from the floor and folded them neatly and put them on the end of your bed. It's like living at home with mum. We'd call into an island, they had tours organised, they'd take us out in the buses, they'd show us the sights. Back to the ship, lunch was served on the open deck. We'd lie back in the deck chairs, little waiters running around giving us nice, long, cool drinks. It was very nice. But God has not called you at Cornerstone to be on a cruise ship. He's called you to be on a battleship. And I know that you would never treat this like a cruise ship, but where you're just the passenger going along for what you can get out of it, lying back in your youth group, lying back at church while your leaders run around doing things for you, ordering Jesus in your prayers to run little errands for you. Dear Jesus... Please, please make my tooth stop hurting. Dear Jesus, please give me good marks in the exam I haven't studied for. Dear Jesus, please give me lots of money. Dear Jesus, give me a girlfriend. Good boy, Jesus. Roll over, Jesus. Play dead. You, you wouldn't pray like that, would you? Where you're the passenger ordering the little waiter around to do things for you and complaining when church isn't exactly the way that you want it. Come on, picture number one, you're called to be a soldier. Don't settle for being a spiritual tourist. Because remember, we're not spectators. Picture number two, you're called to be an athlete. Look at the very next verse, verse 5. 2 Timothy 2, verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Like in sport, would you you love to have the crown of victory? Would you love to play in the winning grand final? Would you like to represent your state? Would you like to win Olympic gold? Can you imagine the discipline that you've got to have if you're going to be an elite athlete? 
like hours of training, the strictly controlled diet, not going out on the town the night before the big competition. Oh, unless you're in NRL, of course. Like, that's discipline. You've got to discipline your life. Now, have you worked out that the word discipline comes from the same word as disciple? A disciple is somebody who is disciplined to a master. And if you want to have the crown of victory, you've got to put in the hard yards because there are no shortcuts to success. Look back to verse 5. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Let's imagine you're in the Olympic 1,500-metre track race, three and three-quarter times around the track. As you're going, you notice that the rest of the pack is getting somewhat ahead of you. Could you solve that situation by actually taking a shortcut across the middle of the field and meeting the pack on the other side and winning? Would that work? No, you can't take a shortcut because you'll be disqualified. If you want to have a great AFL team, you can't sneakily put all your interchanges on at the same time as you've got your original 18 because that would not be according to the rules. You would not win. You'd be disqualified. You want to be a champion weightlifter? Well, if you cheat by injecting little drugs into you, you understand you're not going to get that gold medal. You'll be disqualified because that's not according to the rules. An athlete must compete according to the rules. And that shows us that there are no shortcuts in being prepared for ministry. You've actually got to put in the hard yards. And yet I have met on that sinful mainland, it wouldn't happen here. You are the pure, holy, righteous, bull-sacrificing state. Um, I have met young people at my church in Sydney who say, well, I want to grow as a Christian, but I don't really want to read my Bible every day. That's a shortcut. Can you see it's not going to work? Oh, I love belonging to our church, but I don't actually have to go every Sunday, do I? That's a shortcut. It will never work. Oh, Lord Jesus, I honour you. I worship you. I praise you. But there's some sins I kind of enjoy and I'd like to hang on to them. That is a shortcut. It will never work. Come on, you're called to be a soldier, so don't settle for being a tourist. And you're called to be an athlete, so don't settle for shortcuts. Because remember, we're not spectators. We're Picture number three. You're called to be a farmer. Verse 6, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. I have never lived on the land. If you've been involved on the land, can I just say on behalf of Australia, thank you for your hard work in, in producing food for us. Can you imagine what life is like on a farm? 365 days of the year. Whether it's wet or fine or hot or cold, you've got to be there attending to the farm. And unlike the soldier, there's no glory when you're out fixing the fence in the back paddock. Unlike the athlete, there's no grandstand cheering for you as you get up at four in the morning to milk the cows. 
As a farmer, you show up day in, day out, whether anyone is cheering for you or not, and you faithfully do what is required. Now, are any of you involved in a ministry that feels like that? That you do your ministry faithfully, week in, week out, nobody particular seems to notice you don't get pulled up at the front and get the Servant of the Year award. Is that okay for you to do that? To be faithful at your job without getting any reward? Or will you only do the the jobs that get a reward? You see, the hardworking farmer understands that principle. So here's the question. Who is entitled to enjoy the food that the farmer produces. Now, I come from Sydney. It's kind of a big city, and all our kids are city slickers. They think that, you know, I think that meat comes from polystyrene trays in the supermarket and that milk is produced in cartons. That's their understanding of country life. When I ask our high schoolers up in Sydney who is entitled to eat the food that the farmer produces, their answer is, I am. I want the farmer to work hard so that I walk and walk into McDonald's and get my two all-beef patty special sauce lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun without having to put any effort in. You understand how city life works? The farmers does all the work. We get the food with no effort whatsoever. But logically, if there's anyone in the world who is entitled to eat the food that the farmer produces... It is the farmer who's put all the hard work in. That's what verse 6 says. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. But let me tell you the little I know about farming. A farmer is essentially the producer of food, not the consumer of food. The thing that marks a farmer out is that their essential role is they produce the food. They might be entitled to eat it, but let's just imagine that for the next 12 months, every farmer and their family in Australia totally consume all the food that their farm produces. So for the next 12 months, every beef farmer in Australia, they and their family totally eat every bit of beef that is slaughtered and and butchered. That across Australia for the next 12 months, every wheat farmer, the farmer and their family, totally consume every bit of wheat that they produce. Imagine if every vineyard owner, (laughs) every vineyard owner for the next year, they and their family totally consume every bit of wine they produce. What would happen if every farmer in Australia claimed their right to be the consumers of their food and ate it all? May I suggest two results? Number one, fat farmers. (laughs) Number two, everybody else in Australia starves. Let's imagine that every church in Australia for the next 12 months totally consumed all the ministry they produced. Oh, all the Bible teaching, it's for me. All the praise and worship, it's for me. All the money that we give, that's for us to spend on ourselves. 
Let's imagine that for the next 12 months, every church in Australia totally consumed every bit of ministry they produced. May I suggest two results? Number one, fat Christians wallowing in all the wonderful ministry that we do. Number two, nobody else in Australia hears about Jesus. Nobody joins God's kingdom. The church never grows and the devil is very happy. Come on, God never called you as a Christian to be a consumer of ministry. There are meant to be consumers of ministry. They're called non-Christians. The consumers of ministry, they're the people who are not in church today and we are called to produce ministry for them. And we get to produce ministry here so that non-Christians get to discover the wonder of Jesus and eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And yet we run around like Christian consumers saying, it's for me. It's, where's, I'll go to another church because their music is better. Oh, I'd rather listen to this podcast than my own preacher. You understand how we just run around like consumers. I'm wondering, is it possible that you have given up being a ministry producer and you've settled for being a ministry consumer? Because if every bit of ministry is consumed by us, nobody comes to Christ. Here's the trap. It is easier to do a Bible study about evangelism than to actually evangelise. It is easier to watch a video about feeding the starving than to actually feed the starving. It is easier to do a discipleship training class than to actually make disciples. It's easier to have a Bible study about helping the poor than actually helping the poor. It's easier to be inspired by a message to get back into the front lines than to actually get back into the front lines. I'm just wondering, is it possible that you've moved away from the trenches and you've settled for the comfort of home base? Have you moved from the battleground and settled for the parade ground? Have you given up being a player and just settled for being a spectator? Because Jesus never stayed in heaven as a spectator. He rolled up his sleeve, he lived in our filth and manure and was butchered on a cross as a criminal because he was a God who got involved in every one of our lives. I love what William Booth said founder of the Salvation Army. Special message for all the old salvos here. I love what he said. He said, while women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a poor lost girl upon the street, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight and I'll fight to the very end. Come on, Jesus has called you to be a player. Don't settle for being a spectator. Jesus has called you to be a soldier. Don't settle for being a tourist. Jesus has called you to be an athlete. Don't settle for shortcuts. Jesus has called you to be a farmer, a producer of ministry. Don't settle for being a consumer. 
Jesus has called you on to his ministry team. And when you get active on his team, then together we change the world. Because remember, we're not spectators. I said, we're not spectators. We're not spectators. Oh, Father God, thank you that you have called us onto your team, that you will fill our heart with a passion to go and make more and more disciples. Save us from the sin of just showing up in our world as ministry spectators. Fill us with your spirit. Inspire us by your word. Guide us by your son that we might be involved in every way as active players on your ministry team. Amen.